Thank you for downloading this Brum Radio podcast. For more podcasts, visit BrumRadio.com. Hello, thanks for downloading. This is the Brum Radio Comedy Show, hosted by me, James Cook. What we've done is we've taken out all the bits that we're not allowed to put in it for legal reasons and left the rest so you can listen to it. Enjoy! Well, hello! It's time for the Brum Radio Comedy Show with me, James Cook, looking at all the comedy things that are happening in and around Birmingham. We've got that coming up later uh, in this, our difficult ninth show. Uh, Also today... Really, really fascinating chat with Ian Boldsworth. Ian was a, uh, well, he still is a comedian, but he was on the circuit for the best part of 20 years. He has made a movie, the Parapod movie, and it's going to be shown at Mac in a couple of weeks' time. So we're going to be talking about how to make a movie out of a podcast and uh, just his general thoughts about the state of comedy and what comedians should be doing right now. It's really, really interesting. Uh, that's coming up. Uh, also, uh, we looking at uh, all the comedy events that are coming up in and around Birmingham in the next seven days, of course. Uh, so, pack show uh, today. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, this is the Brum Radio Comedy Show. Brum Radio Comedy Show for, uh, what is it, the 5th of March. Uh, it's World Book Day today, guys. Uh, I know this because I've got uh, kids who go to primary school, and obviously everyone at the school uh, dresses up. Here's a million-dollar idea, a children's book called The Kid Who Forgot It Was World Book Day. That way, everyone who does forget it's World Book Day can say they're dressed as the kid who forgot it's World Book Day, which is a book. There you go. Come on, children's authors, get that sorted out. Now, it's a very exciting event happening at Mac uh, a week on Saturday. That's the uh, 14th of March. There will be two screenings of a brand new movie called The Parapod Movie. This is a movie that was the brainchild of Ian Boldsworth. Ian was a circuit comedian for the best part of 20 years uh, under the name of uh, Ray Peacock to start with uh, before using his own name he was in the big and daft sketch troupe he went on to uh, host a podcast with ed gamble called the peacock and gamble podcast that did very well he also had his own radio show he was also an incredibly respected uh, warm-up man as well and then uh, he started a podcast called the parapod which was um well i'll tell you what I'll, I'll let him explain it to you the parapod was a podcast that myself and um is he is barry a comedian barry dodds yeah yes he works as a comedian he does yeah doesn't he so okay well comedian me and comedian barry dodds did a podcast where barry unfathomably believes in anything ghost wise and uh i don't at all so we were arguing about it in real life he was phoning me every day <laughs> genuinely true what happened was it been it was booked on a radio show i was in a live radio show and they couldn't get him on the phone it was for a phone and it just wasn't picking his phone up but i was really cross so a lot of it was me going you know angry at dodds who i didn't really know that well really but we were going to speak about when he took a load of comics to 30 east drive in pontifrat which is a purported to be the home of the most violent poltergeist in the world i don't know the gauge or measure these things but he took a load of comics in there, so we were going to talk about that. Because I'd said to him, oh, thanks for inviting me. And I think he that one sentence 
made him believe I had a genuine interest in the paranormal. <laughs> <laughs> so from then onwards, he was going, I'll book another one, I'll book another one in. And I went, okay, yeah, if you want to go to it, I went, yeah, I'll go to it, I'll happily go to it. And then a few weeks later, he wrote me and went, right, so it's this much, and it's this much. I was like, oh, I didn't know how to pay, I'm not paying. <laughs> <laughs> so I never went. But I wanted to discuss it with him. And then increasingly, I think, he might not remember it this way, but I remember it as we were having discussions where he was utterly naive to the fact that I didn't believe in ghosts. So he would speak to me, no matter what I said in return, as if we were both having a chat about how much we like ghosts and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Until I got increasingly more forceful in my rebuttals. And then uh, Peacock and Gamble had come to an end and I was sort of a bit free-fally, really. I didn't really know what I was going to do. And it just clicked to me one night, because on the radio show, when he, when he didn't answer the phone, I then punished him, which I'm allowed to do as host of the show, by making him do an interview on the show every week. <laughs> so it started with five, and then if he did anything wrong in them interviews, I would add another one to it. I think, I think he ended up doing about 20, <laughs> like on the bounce. We were talking professionally in that way, but he was ringing me a lot as well. And I eventually, because I didn't know what I was going to do, I, I was like, look, let's record these. These are these conversations we're having are hilarious. And I think people would find them hilarious. And he was like, oh, I'm not so sure. And he was he had reservations as well because of Peacock and Gamble, so he, which he'd listened to, you know, he'd been a kind of fan of. So he didn't want to be viewed as replacing Ed. And it's like, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing a, just a chat. It's You know, it's... This is a specific topic. It's a specific product, as it were. So we just started that, and it hit fast, really. I think because it's a dead simple, easy-to-grasp idea. So it's a sceptic versus a believer arguing the toss, and the believer has never won. Also, the believer's not very good at arguing, and the sceptic really is. Oh, he's awful at it. Yeah. yeah, But, I mean, I'm... Even the arguing I do on the Parapod, I'm capable of, like, probably 90% more. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't need to. I, I've often maintained that I could record an episode of the Parapod just from the kitchen, <laughs> just <laughs> just shouting through <laughs> and still win it. And while I'm doing other stuff, <laughs> just still win it hands down. He's an awful arguer, awful. And it's never worse than when he believes he can. That's when he's at his worst, when he turns up here thinking, I've got a brilliant argument. Yeah, he often starts an episode, doesn't he? incredibly confident yeah, this yeah. is going to be the yeah. one that he's going to win. And that's not an affectation, that, by the way. That is how he turns up. That is, that, you know, I can only play the team in front of me. That's genuinely how he... He doesn't go, all right, I'm going to say that I'm really confident. You know, we don't have them discussions at all. That's just how he comes through the door. Skips up that path. <laughs> <laughs> genuinely does. You can see him just full of enthusiasm. And then two hours later, he just slowly walks past that window with his head down. <laughs> The Parapod does three series. How many episodes is yeah. it? There were ten a series, but there's also been specials, and there's three new ones so far when we're recording this, sort of movie tie-in ones, even though they're not really about the movie, but there's there's reference to the movie in them, and they're just promo. You know, that's just like a, a nudge to people who might be subscribed. So how far into the history of the Parapod did the idea of a movie first appear? Just before we recorded series three, and it happened because... We'd been a- approached by a guy called Matt Bell, who was the floor manager on Red Dwarf, which I work on, doing the warm-up. And he'd started listening to it, because he knew me at Red Dwarf, fallen in love with it as a thing, and said we should make a pilot, a TV pilot for it. And I was sort of saying, well, we can, but as long as I can say, no, I don't want to do it, after we've made it, you know, as long as I can do that without anyone getting pissed off. 
So we got a little crew together and stuff, and we went to 30 East Drive in Pontefract, and we filmed there for an evening. And it remains to this day the most scared I've ever seen Dodds. I've still got the footage of it, and he was proper in freefall, proper spiralling out of control, all from things that I'd done. And there was there was one bit of footage where I just went into the sort of kitchen area, and he went outside for a cig, and I'm just looking at the camera going, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know how to deprogram him. <laughs> and it, it felt like it wasn't even funny at that point. It was, I was like, I don't know how to get him out of this hole. Because he's now really... Now he has confirmation that ghosts definitely exist. He's really freaked out. Blah, 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 blah. And I felt proper guilty about it. But managed to do it. And managed, it was funny. And, you know, he got angry and all the rest of it. And then we went outside. He went, he, he went outside for a cig again. And I went out with him. And I just said, this has got nowhere to go now. This is, as a TV project, mm. this has now got nowhere to go because you can do that as a first episode, but then what do you do next week? Because next week you lose all the power of that. You're like, well, okay, so the fat one's going to do tricks on the fat one. And, <laughs> you know, it was that sort mm. of feeling of like, and it just get repetitive very fast. And I said, I don't think we're making a TV show. I think we're making a movie. And he sort of laughed about it and I went, I'm serious. I think we should make this into a film. Why can we not make a film? they've made feature films on iPhones now why can, why can we not make a film and it just uh, I got pregnant with it immediately I was like we're making a film and he wasn't that bothered about it in fact at certain points he said I don't want to you know he was like you're going ahead with this and I don't actually even want to do it I think sometimes with Dodds when things are getting bigger he retreats for whatever reason I don't know what he's scared of but you know for whatever reason so that that was the birth of it that was where or that was the conception of it is it i just decided there and then outside 30s drive we should make a film then i worked out if we asked listeners of the podcast to buy a credit on the film we'd have a little budget to begin with and we could make a film i thought we could make a film for like 10 grand is what i thought and i still maintain we could have done it just wouldn't have been the film that it ended up being when uh, you know an external producer came in and said i'll get i'll put some money into this and it's still dirt cheap the budget of the parapod movie but i don't think it's I don't think it looks like a film that's been made for the budget it has been made for. It doesn't look like a cheap film. No, it doesn't, does no, it? No, it looks like... There's bits, but that I think that looks like it's by design. You know, well, because sh- of the nature of what the film's Ex- about. Exactly yeah. that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's got higher production values than the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> it totally has, not it? But, but Blair Witch, you know, because you work with what you got, they're like, right, we've got no money, so students making a film. So that's easy. Mm. You know, Blair Witch was still far more expensive than the Parapod movie. But, I mean, significantly more expensive than the Parapod movie. But it, it works for that film. For it to, you know, look crap and cameras being dropped and all the rest of it, you know. How many listeners bought credits, roughly? Oh, I don't know. Well, they're on the, they're on the end of the film. Yeah, I didn't want to count them, though. They were loads. Well, I'm not counting them for I'll you. i just look for my name. <laughs> there I am. Are you on there? Yeah. Are you really? Did, yeah. you, did you contribute? Yeah. I, I didn't know that. that. Of course, I think it's a fantastic idea. But you've got quite a generic name, so yeah. I, I perhaps thought, oh, look, same name as James. Yeah. I, I, don't, think, I don't think I'd realise it, would you? Yeah. But no. then again, I've not been through every name going, oh, I wonder who that is, I wonder well, who that is. don't even know how many there are. I really don't. Like, I, act- I actually don't. Well, I've got finances upstairs that could, check, you know, could okay. definitively tell you, but it's, um, yeah, because that's all been done properly. It's all been done, you know, it's not just been like, oh, look at this money, make a film. <laughs> um, it became obvious quite early on that this had to be done properly everything needed you know which i think sometimes dodds forgot as well 
worried like we'd be somewhere he'd be like just put it on the budget <laughs> it's like no you don't understand <laughs> can't just put it on the budget so the movie it's you and barry going to yeah. various allegedly haunted places mm-hmm. i mean did the movie how what did it have a script an outline how did um it, what did you have did it, you just go well we'll go to there and we'll film and hopefully it'll be it, I, i'll tell you what it had i did a treatment for it on what i would have liked it liked to happen which also took into account that I didn't want Dodds to know. So it wasn't that he was colluding with me to go, right, I'll do this, you do that, I'll do that. You know, it wasn't that. It was basically a list of pointers for me. I'll do this, we'll go here, and I'll do this. And then I reckon he'll do this, and I reckon this will happen. And I, So that was quite concise, really. Because, again, when you're working with so, so little money, you've got to know what you're doing there. And I had a producer who was constantly throwing spanners in the works in the name of trying to help Barry. My line producer rang me one day and she went, I don't have to tell you this, Ian. And I'm like, well, what? And she went, he's just rung me. And he's asked me to book Warwick Davis to jump out at you in the woods. <laughs> and when? Why? <laughs> Why does it specifically have to be Warwick Davis? We got to that. <laughs> And he wants to, like, dress him up like a little monster. <laughs> Let him jump out here. And I said, well, first off, if that happened, I'd knock him out. <laughs> There's that. So I couldn't guarantee his safety. And second off, does he think Warwick Davis is the only little person in the world? It was like, if we're going to book a little person, we don't have to go high end. <laughs> Why does it even have to be? Well, obviously it didn't happen, but it was like... And I, and I went, don't do that. She went, no, I wouldn't. I just, went, well, I just thought I'd tell you what's been going on. And he got, like, uh, this other guy to come down who believed he, the, believed that supernatural stuff was aliens, and he, he'd invented some equipment that, that got aliens to come down so he could basically, on command, create a supernatural event with his fairy lights in a bowl. <laughs> and it was one of them where it was like, well, this might have been all right, but the fact that he's gone off and done this and, and just gone, right, he's just going to turn up. Said about it, he's just going to turn up. And then you go, oh, I've got a secret weapon and all that. Didn't take into account that I've got quite a meticulous shooting plan. Mm. <laughs> so it sort of kills the evening. And we ended up... I eventually said to Dodds, just go along with it, just do it, it's fine. But then we ended up shooting until like 6am because I had to get the stuff that was going to get in the proper shooting time later on. So there were frustrations in that respect. The producer says he believes in all this stuff and, and says that he believes in ghosts, he believes in supernatural and all that, that all this is going on. He, you know, he's, he's, he, by his own words, he would say he is Team Dodds. But what became sort of an issue was is that I was having production meetings and going, right, it's not that I don't respect your beliefs or nothing like that. You can believe what you want, but what if they don't? <laughs> like, what What if they don't turn up? Well, I think if you're in that house or if you're in this area, uh, you will definitely get something. I was like, okay, that's fine. But what if I don't? Then what are we then left with? You know, we, we do need a plan B here, just in case the camera shy. You know, you start talking like that. Mm. But he was so adamant that, no, th- stuff will definitely happen. And then I started thinking, right, were you arranging for stuff to, you know, is this a... That he must know. Yeah. That stuff we but, was going to but, but it didn't. <laughs> you know, so, you know, so, so he hadn't even done that. Mm. Yeah, you know, he hadn't even arranged that. So that's what becomes frustrating when you're dealing with people who believe things strongly and who are happy to throw it into the lap of the gods. You don't need to pull me on gods. I don't believe in gods either. But whereas I was quite intent on going, right, we, we need to have an A plan and a B plan. And I was more interested in the B plan, really, because that was the one that I knew would happen. So I was more interested in 
what what do we do in the absence of you know what's the story in the absence of things going on and there is a story there is yeah yeah and things do happen which is about 40 stories that you know but this the, the one that's in there is the one that we managed to eke out of it as a more complete story and it's still not a complete story i don't think but it's there's a through line there's a narrative mm. to it which came about actually organically so it's a very long-winded way of saying that there was plans in place that were then scuppered by events that happen in the movie one of the things that i will say as a credit to the producer is he said earlier on if something happens we need to have the courage to follow that you know to to go away from how we thought this was going to go and follow that but i don't think he anticipated that what does happen in the movie which i'd rather keep sort of vague the direction that will take it in i think he thought a white sheet was going to come out and go, Ooh, you know, <laughs> quick follow and, it. And in that case, we've got to follow. We've got to keep on. We've got to accept that's true. And you know, that's yeah. I think how he thought it. But in terms of what actually happened, which is the potential destruction of our relationship, myself and Dodds, and the, and the threat of the film, you know, continuing, was to me far more interesting to follow. Particularly how you know how Barry works and how a believer in stuff works, and what they do when they're confronted with. Basically, that film is about what happens to Barry when he wins. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and that's in huge inverted commas before Dodds puts that on his CV. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I think that's what it's yeah. about. It's about how, how do you, you know, care for what you wish for, really. So you've got this movie, yeah. and now you're touring it around. Yes. yes. How, how does that work? Right? That's first instance. I'm not really sure. I don't know. Again, because of my independent auteur mood that I'm in, because it was made independently, we sort of agreed within production that we weren't going to surrender this film for cash, you know, that we weren't going to hawk it round and go, do you want to buy this, do you want to buy this, and then lose it. You know, we'd recoup the budget and we might have got a bit on top, but we then lose the thing. And because it's felt so much like not a job, so much like a, a, a special... That regardless of what's, you know, what's ended up on the screen... It does still feel to me very much like, God, I've achieved something massive there. You know, that's not... You won't know about what goes on to make a movie. But... And I don't think I really knew. It's huge. You know, it's it's an enormous undertaking. To see that as a completed thing now... You know, I wouldn't say a full credit for it. I think the editor, Simon Gibbs, has, has worked way beyond the pale. And having been loaded with a ton of footage that didn't appear to have a through line i had ideas i was like maybe we could follow this could follow this and then he'd do a cut of the entire film like three hours long and i'd go i think we should follow that i'm pretty sure there's footage of this 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 and this so we'd go back in again and do that and then over years we just between us with simon doing the actual work and me saying do this do this do this we eked out a narrative and we started just scything away and going, that doesn't belong in this narrative, that doesn't belong in this narrative. And there's amazing deleted scenes, like really brilliant stuff that I'd have loved to have been in there. Really funny stuff as well. They're, they're the heartbreakers when it's like really funny, but you're like, this just takes us too far away from it. And there's little diversions within the film, but not many. When you look at it pragmatically and you, and you look at it analytically, I can watch it and go, the reason that's there is this, the reason that's there is this, through it, with mm. every single bit of that film. Which won't be necessarily obvious to a viewer, but I can I could speak you through every shot in the film and tell you why it justified its inclusion in the film. What will happen to the film now after this tour? I'm going to burn it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I so might, I might delete can. every copy of it and then make a real myth out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I might wicker man it and bury it under... A, <laughs> was it a flyover the wicker man was buried under? Um, the long cut of the Wicker Man, apparently, they were so angry about it, they buried it under a fly, fly over, filled it with cement, and it's gone forever. 
Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. I don't, well, don't, but that's the story, though, isn't it? Mm. That'd be Chortles from Pace, surely. Bosworth goes mental and burns own filth. <laughs> I don't know. That is the decision. The decision is made to go, right, we're taking it out ourselves, myself and Dodds are going to all these cinemas. We're going to do a and a show the movie, try and recoup what we could, because we're not, we're not making nothing out of this, we're, we're recouping budget. So try and recoup the budget so this film goes into the black. And then for, I think I can make a more informed decision then once the film is safe. But as long as I think, oh, we owe so and so this, or I'm owed this, even though I've not, I've not called in my debt. I'm like, well, it's my film. I've just put my money into it. But I need to recoup investment money from the producer and stuff. Once that's clear, I'll feel more robust in going right. Now we can make proper decisions on what to do with it. Whether we sell it on to, you know, a streaming service or whatever. Whether we sell it ourselves digitally. Whether we just go, let's just keep this as a movie. And for a cinema film and work out how we do international stuff you know I've, been, I've made little steps towards international distribution but I think until the film feels safe as in not owing any money I don't want to plan too far ahead on that I quite like you know I've, I've liked that with everything I've done just let it find its own way and then if it appears to stall just give it a kick up the arse you know just push it in a certain direction and then let it carry on the journey but I'm not really one for methodically going we do this, and then we have to get this, and we do this, and then we sell it into international markets, and you know, can't be doing with all that. It's too precious. It'd be like selling one of your kids. Which which one? One? Do you know what I mean? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but which one, mate? <laughs> As far as I'm aware, you're the first podcast in the world to become, to a, become movie. a movie. Yeah. Well, I've become increasingly interested in what's happening with comedy and comedians in terms of what is... I'm going to use this phrase, and I know you're going to say, well, that's not what I'm doing. You don't, you, you're, you're, what you're doing now is classic dods. <laughs> you are sitting opposite me saying, and I know what you're going to say back to this. You don't... In, <laughs> in terms of... A career path for a yeah. comedian. Yes. Because, you know, when I started, which was uh, about the same time as you probably. I think so. But the, the career path that appeared to be there was get a bulletproof 20. Yeah. And then you can do jonglers three times a week. Yeah. Shame that, on you. <laughs> and that doesn't exist now. Yeah. If yeah. I do that, then I can be a full-time comedian. Exactly. And then you learn what that actually entails, being yeah. just a full-time comedian. Yeah. Is you might as well be inside an office. And then, you know, 10 years ago, that stops being a thing and then all of a sudden everyone's like what am I going to do how am I going to maintain this and then you know I'm not talking about the people who go on the telly and then become yeah yeah of course arena tours they're fine and they've always been but you know the the jobbing comedians yeah people like me does it feel dead end that that, that's how I felt observing this as someone who was moonlighting on the comedy circuit really because I was doing other stuff I felt that it it seemed a bit dead end. Yeah, club gigs teach you how to do club gigs. Yeah. They don't teach you and how to... And nothing beyond that. Go beyond that. And then what we had was the explosion of the uh, the free fringes at the at Edinburgh, yeah. which sort of enabled more people to go and do Edinburgh every year yeah. and try and develop that way. So that started happening. And then podcasts have happened and people are trying to develop that way. And yeah. I suppose there's YouTube as well and some people are doing stuff on there. So I'm, I'm just interested in these alternative career paths because you know i do i do the the naught to five minutes courses yeah 
and the vast majority of people who do those have no interest in being a comedian. They just it's, it's just their bucket it, list. It's a bucket list thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's just they're interested in it and they want to have a nice time. Cool. But there will be a couple of people on every course who then want to pursue it. You can see it in the eyes, can't you? And they, <laughs> yeah. And they, uh, <laughs> the dead eyes. Yeah. Well, bizarrely, there's more, there's almost certainly more joy in the people that are just doing it for a crack. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like they feel like they've finished. Yeah, exactly. They've yeah. achieved something. That was fun. <laughs> Whereas the people who want to carry on, I feel like I haven't yeah. achieved it yet. But I haven't killed anyone yet. <laughs> um, and they, they ask, so how, how do I get into comedy? And I go, well, I don't know because I got into comedy when it was very, very different. Yeah, yeah. And now there are so many people doing gigs that to step up from being an open spot to being paid yeah. now is like you have to be like really good i'm from a time when an act like me could step up from open spot to pay spot. could make a living i know <laughs> that doesn't happen now i wish you'd stop doing this because i think sometimes you're too convincing in your argument <laughs> do, do you know what i mean i think i get it because uh, i do it as well i'm, I'm very self-deprecating and all the rest of it but i sometimes worry with you <laughs> that your self-deprecation is too convincing. So it's convinced the industry. Yeah, no, no, but I don't think that's true, because here's the thing. There was a question you said there that they ask, how do I get into comedy? And the answer is, are you a creative person? Yeah, I am, yeah. What do you do? I do all this, I've done this, I've written this, and I've blah, 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 I've drawn this, and et cetera, et cetera. Okay, well, I can do you a gig, for sure, because we're going to do this course, and you're going to do a gig at the end of it. So when that's happened, you are in comedy. Yeah, <laughs> you know you're in it. But now, what you then choose to do, how you then choose to express your talents or whatever need you have to creatively express yourself, that's up to you. So, if you want to just go and do twenty minute gigs, then you can you can probably still achieve that. Really, might not be as flush as it was back in the day, but you could probably still you know make yourself two hundred quid a week or something at the very least. So you could do that, or if you really mean how do I get into comedy, as in how do I become a creative in comedy, then what you've got to not not do is just that. You mustn't do just that. So get that money from that, but when you come home, or on the days off, of which you will have many, and of daytimes, of which you will have many, I don't accept the argument of like, oh, I was driving, or I'm really tired, and all that. it's like, nah, sod that, you've still got at least two hours in the afternoon. In that time, that's when you create the stuff that you need to create as a creative person. Otherwise, you're going to be doing just gigs and it will happen very fast where you will feel like, this is like an office job. There's no joy in this. I'm saying the same words I've always said. I can't even think of anything funny beyond that. I don't change anything on the stage because I've heard stories about people not getting booked back and what if I run out of gigs? What if I don't get gigs? And my feeling with that was always like, I can't have a venue or either the audience or the staff for that matter talk to me like shit on the shoe when ain't no show without me. You, you, you know what I mean? I, I, I was always very much, um, and some people would argue to my detriment, either in terms of what happened on the night or in terms of what happened subsequently of like, well, we're pulling all his gigs, he's, he's not coming back here and all that. But I couldn't in good faith do that because I felt like, no, I'm not a commodity. I'm not a... You're the commodity. The venue is the commodity. That's the, that's a place for us to do what we want to do. And eventually just got to the point where I was like, comedians bang on about being free spirits and all that. There's not many who are actually that, you know, who, who aren't just going there scared for their livelihood. They were like, I'm going to say whatever I want, rightly or wrongly. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to express myself however I'm feeling on that day. There's not many who do that. And there never has been many who do that and the ones who did do that invariably are the people like cogs or whatever you know people who incognito sorry apologies so, so, so people who were famous to us 
mm. but who wouldn't have had whose parents would have gone well can you not get on the telly <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But we're like, no, don't put him on the telly. That's not for him. That's not his, th-, you know. Mm. And I think he was ultimately happy with that, you know, before he was away. I think he was ultimately, he got to quite a contented place. But even Ian Cognito, and I'm not speaking ill of him, even Ian, the last time I saw him, was worried about not getting booked back. Oh, oh, it, there were Christmas gigs and he was he was a bit worried. He was like, oh, I don't want to piss these off. So I've got three nights here. And I'd not seen him for a while then. And I was like, oh, he just seemed like, we could argue it was maturity, but... He was still sort of doing what he'd always done. On the on the nights I was with him, I'm sure this wasn't true throughout, but it, it felt less spontaneous than it had done in the, in the past. And I think his fear of losing the gigs or not getting booked back or being banned or whatever had got to a point as he got older that it impacted on what he did on the stage, so it was counterproductive. I mean, still the loveliest man on the circuit, but it was it was one of them, and the most incongruous man on the circuit between what he was doing on stage and what he was like off stage but i did feel again not it's not a judgment on cogs at all i i felt like oh is that where we're at as an industry you know as, as a as a movement is that where we're at that we are now definitely an industry and that's all there is well part of it is isn't it the comedy is a huge broad church yeah but, but he was asking me how do i do podcasts you know he was sort of saying how, how would i do that and how do you make a living and what do you do and all that and i was telling him, i was saying she needs to do and i was like mate you are made for a podcast but you've got to do it old school cogs not i i promise you it will get you a solid audience and it would have done this wasn't long before he died it definitely would have done i don't like that we've allowed the stamping out of what we truly are underneath we should have took control of it. Who are we in this instance? Comedians. Really? You want to put comedians in charge of things? Creatives. No, no, but we should have, <laughs> t- we, we, we should have took control. I'll still say... I, I don't but you now. have taken control of yeah, things. Yeah, totally, yeah. And there are comedians who are taking control of things. Yeah. In that some people, some, the smart ones are right. taking control. And it is like the gigs become the day job and then the thing you actually want to do is the thing you spend your time doing. But you can't that. you can't beat the base because it's it's now gotten too much it's now gotten too strong. So all you can do is turn your back on it, I think. All you can do is go right, I'm out. Because that will motivate you to actually do something. Well, yeah, well, well yeah, I guess. But but if you just go, no, I'm not even in that industry now. I'm doing. I'm. A, this is my industry over here. I'm doing this. So I'm not having an audition. I'm, I won't even go to it. I'm not having an interview. I'm not having management. I've done all that, and now I've worked out. I can do it over here, and I've learned enough in the time that I've been free-falling through the comedy world to go, oh, I know about that, oh, I know about that, I know about, you know, that part of a deal, if I have to do a deal with someone. I know about, you know, you've learnt it all without realising you've learnt it. You're like, oh, I could do that, why was I paying someone else to do it? Or why was I taking my wares to other people going, can you make this, can we make this? There is so much of that in the comedian psyche, though. We want to make something, we want to create something, but... More than that, we want someone important yeah, to tell person. us to do it. Totally. Or, or do it for us, ultimately. <laughs> yeah. It's like going, I've written this script, can you book all the crew? <laughs> can we can have some money for it? And can you book all the crew and make it at your studios? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, of course we can. <laughs> because then we'll take 90% of the cash. <laughs> Not that it's about the cash at all. Yeah. And, and truly it isn't for me. But you're right, it is. That's ingrained a thing to go, oh. I remember my mum saying to me about, I was in... A thing called No Heroics um, on ITV2. 
Is that the sitcom about superheroes? Yes. Yeah, I saw that. So I was in that. I can't remember much about it. All I know is that Drew, who I've sort of kept in touch with, who wrote it, is now big time Hollywood. <laughs> like he wrote Iron Man three and stuff. He like so he, he just became a huge thing over there. I remember that coming out and my mum calling me the next day and, sh- and saying, "We talked about the Peacock and Gamble podcast." I think she went. Well, I thought you were brilliant in that. And I'll tell you what, I think you'll get picked up off that. And the the phrase, you'll get picked up off that, was like, that's not really how it happened. Yeah. <laughs> that's not... we, we like to imagine there's a guy with a cigar. <laughs> exactly. Tell you what, kid, who's going to make you yeah. a start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who's going to decide all this yeah, for us? absolutely that. And if, if we could only win them over... Yeah, and, and anyway, I was I was in it with Nick Mohammed, and he was the one that got picked up off it. <laughs> um, but you know, but it is that it is that reliance on this mythical other person that, that you imagine, or some people talk about the BBC like it's a person. You know, oh, I think the BBC are going to make this. It's like, well, no, it'll have to be an individual at the BBC. It can't be the BBC. You know what I mean? It doesn't come to live and go right. What are we making? Well, it's like all the BBC meet up in the morning and decide what they exactly that. Exactly that. I think that's the. And that's the habit that needs that people need to get out of, is sitting and waiting. And I've definitely been guilty of it. Like I'm, I'm not saying oh, I've always been this thorough, diligent, tunnel vision auteur. I've not at all. But I have honed that a little bit. I think now I've, I've, I've worked it out as I've got older. Once I passed forty, and <laughs> learned everything that there is to learn. Yeah, I think that's the habit. That that's the first socialisation to break. Is to stop thinking somebody else is going to do it for you, and sulking that they're not. That's the other thing, and all sulking that they're not. Well, why are they on that? Because they tried really hard to do it. Because <laughs> yeah. they didn't sit and go, "Why have the BBC not phoned again today?" <laughs> <laughs> I've got so many ideas. If only they'd ask. <laughs> He's right, you know. Uh, Ian Boldsworth, there, who I spoke to earlier this week. And uh, it's well worth listening to his advice because he is a comedian who now survives outside of uh, the circuit. He's got his own thing going on um, through uh, Patreon. And he's made a film, an actual film, the Parapod movie, the film of the podcast. It's going to be at Mac on Saturday, the 14th of March. There are two screenings. Uh, a one in the afternoon screening and an 8pm screening. The 8pm is pretty much sold out. I believe there's a handful of tickets left for that. Uh, and there aren't that many more for the 1pm either. Uh, and I can exclusively reveal that the Parapod movie is really good. Um, I I didn't really know what to expect from it. Uh, I, thought, I think worst case scenario was that uh, it, I would uh, end up having to say to Ian, well, well it's, you've made a film. Well done. Uh, but it's so much more than that. It just manages to hit that balance exactly right between uh, comedy and, do I mean horror? Do I think horror? Not quite horror, but certainly that way. Um, it's uh, it's funny and it's creepy as well. And there's lots going on in it. Uh, and it's uh, it's very well-made movie. So I would heartily recommend you get down to the Mac on Saturday, 14th March. Go see one of the screenings of... The Parapod movie tickets are available through the Mac website right now. Uh, Coming up, we'll be looking at some other comedy events that are happening in and around Birmingham over the next seven days. After some music on the Brum Radio Comedy Show.
nice flavour of ghost, isn't it? Cherry. It's the one I always have. It's the Brum Radio Comedy Show. Thursday, 5th of March. I'm James Cook. Time now to have a look at some of the events happening in and around Birmingham in the next seven days. Starting tonight, it's all the old favourites. The Comedy Carousel is at the Glee Club with Brum Radio's very own Andy Robinson hosting the show, doing funny stuff up on the big screen as well. Uh, the legendary Hollybush in Cradley Heath has their open mic night, which is uh, free to get in. There's also a free open mic, uh, new ma- no, sorry, it's a new material night, I should say, at the station in Kings Heath, uh, off the rails, uh, hosted by uh, Good Kids and Eric Rushton, who were both in the Leicester Mercury final this year. Eric, of course, uh, romped to victory, so you can go and see them for free in Kings Heath tonight. Uh, Just up the road in Moseley at the Patrick Kavanagh, Fat Penguin Improv will be doing a free show. Uh, That's all happening tonight. Tomorrow night in town, oh my God, come on venues, talk to each other. You've all scheduled some amazing shows at exactly the same time. Uh, Let's go through them. Starting off at uh, the Just The Tonic on Broad Street, the old jonglers. Uh, They have none other than Johnny Vegas. Some kind of industrial accident. Because <laughs> you look like a badly mended teapot that's been knocked over by an overactive nephew. So Vegas is on, on Broad Street. Uh, meanwhile, at the Symphony Hall, so like a one minute walk away from that uh, tomorrow night, is uh, one liners from Jimmy Carr. I've got no problem buying tampons, I'm a fairly modern man. But apparently, they're not a proper present. <laughs> Happy birthday, Mum! <laughs> and then if you hop and skip and jump up to Sutton Coldfield tomorrow night at Sutton Coldfield Town Hall, friend of the show, Paul Sinha. 48 long years ago is when my mum and dad made the same decision we now know half of India made, looked at the map of the world, went, America, too exciting, we're coming to Britain. <laughs> Odd choice? No. Perfect choice. I'll tell you why. 1960s, there's your clue. Here are the options. Birmingham, Alabama. Birmingham, West Midlands. (laughs) Forced to sit at the back of the bus. Get to drive the bus. Yeah, Paul Sinner on at Sutton Coalfield Town Hall tomorrow night and at the Glee Club, as well as their regular weekend shows, which this weekend features some brilliant... uh, uh, circuit Comics, Louise Young, Pat Cahill, Tanya Lee Davis, uh, who has just been nominated for a Chortle Award for uh, Best Club Act, and John Fothergill, who's always very entertaining, but a tour show also at the Glee Club tomorrow night from Sarah Keyworth. I didn't wear dresses. I think I've figured out why. Now I saw a baby in a dress the other day, looking ridiculous. <laughs> you seen a baby in a dress? Absolutely, honestly, because they're huge. They cover up the little legs, they've got the little bold head at the top. They look like shuttlecocks, don't they? <laughs> So you can go and see her at the Glee. Uh, And then Saturday, um, there's the Glee Club regular show. There's the regular show at uh, Just the Tonic on Broad Street uh, featuring uh, Elliot Steele, who's well worth uh, going to see, I think, as well as uh, Freddie Quinn, uh, Mickey P. Kerr, who's on Brit's Got Talent, and Rudy Liquid, who's been doing comedy forever. Uh, So that's a pretty good lineup. But uh, other than that, there's not really much going on. It appears to be all on Friday night this week. There is one event, though, that has caught my eye on Saturday. The Mill in Digbeth, and it is called Rum and Comedy. 
And it features uh, some pretty good acts, by the way. Slim is on and Quincy, uh, both of whom I've seen. Uh, Junior Booker and Kaylee Loudmouth, who I haven't seen. Uh, and uh, they also are claiming you can have bottomless rump punch between 6.45 and 7.45. I mean, that's a challenge, isn't it? How much rum punch can you get through in an hour? And there is chocolate rum cake with sauce. So there you go. It really is rum and comedy. That's happening on uh, Saturday night. And then on Sunday, there are three shows on at the Glee Club. Two Ladies of Laughter shows and one Kubo International Women's Day special. Uh, so uh, lots of stuff to go and see there at the Glee Club on Sunday afternoon. I'll be looking some more at some other events happening in and around town uh, next week. Um, no, no, I won't be looking. Well, I will be looking at them next week on the show that I do next Thursday, but I'm looking at next week's shows uh, in a little bit here on the Brum Radio Comedy Show. Show. I'm James Cook, and uh, more listings now, more things happening in and around Birmingham, comedy-wise, in the next seven days. There is a thing happening on Sunday that I almost forgot to mention, but luckily uh, there's someone here who can help. Hello, it's Shamsaman Comic. It is Project Mayhem Comedy this Sunday, 8th of uh, March 2020. Come down, it's a new material night. It's at the Church Inn in Hockley, B18, 6AQ. Starts at 6 o'clock sharp. Lots of lovely comedians waiting for you to try out the new material. Just £1 entry, and I'll see you there. Uh, thank you very much, Shams Man, for letting me know about that. By the way, if you want to plug your comedy night or uh, if you want to review one or anything like that, what you can do is record a little thing on your phone and send it to us. Our email address is brumradiocomedy at gmail.com. That's brumradiocomedy at gmail.com. And if it's any good, we'll put it on the radio. Uh, also happening next week on Monday night, the Useful Idiot Night at Loki, another new material uh, night, and an open mic night at the Gunmaker's Arms in the Jewelry Quarter as well. Tuesday, another touring show hits the Glee Club in the shape of Ivo Graham. My parents sent me away to an all-boys boarding school for the first time when I was seven years old. I don't blame them. It was a good decision. I was a <laughs> I was asking too many questions. The big questions. Questions no parents are prepared to answer. How are babies made? What's happened to the dog? Why does Home Alone 3 have a different child? Too many questions. <laughs> Send them away at the earliest possible juncture. Let somebody else explain Macaulay's problems to the boy. <laughs> If you like your posh comics a little bit older, on Wednesday night at the Glee, uh, Simon Evans... There are a lot of homeless people on the streets, or possibly just outdoor lager enthusiasts, but they seem to be <laughs> very committed to it if they did have a home to go to. <laughs> As a rule, I don't want to tire them all with the same brush, although if you sleep on the road, that will happen sooner or later, but... <laughs> I do think it's a bit ironic the favourite drink of the homeless should be a beer called Tenants. I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I'm 49 years of age. I live on the south coast with my wife. We got married quite quickly. Unfortunately, we left it too late to have children. Uh, but we went ahead and had them anyway, which was a mistaken idea. But there we are. Simon Evans brings his show to the Glee Club on Wednesday. Also on Wednesday, over at the Fat Penguin at uh, Patrick Kavner. 
in uh, Moseley, one of the best nights around, mainly because it's free to get in, not necessarily free to leave. And they have just an absolutely brilliant lineup uh, on Wednesday, featuring one of the best live performers you will ever see, Phil Nickel. Uh, if you uh, have, don't, if that name's not meaning anything to you, well, you're clearly not a comedy fan because he's been uh, a legend of the comedy scene for many, many years. He's won the Edinburgh Comedy Award, and he's probably best known for writing this song. I'm the only gay Eskimo, <laughs> the only one I know. Yep, the writer of The Only Gay Skip in My Tribe will be performing at the Fat Penguin in Moseley on Wednesday. Well worth popping along to that if you're at a loose end and around the Moseley area. Um, now, uh, for some comedy news. And uh, it's sad comedy news, I'm afraid. This week, uh, news has reached us that uh, Colin Harris has passed away. Uh, Colin was uh, a sort of uh, stalwart of the local comedy scene uh, for many years. He was uh, often seen down at the uh, the Hollybush in Cradley Heath. Uh, and I believe he does appear in the uh, the Hollybush's very own soap opera, uh, Bush Roads, on uh, YouTube that Dave Dinsdale uh, made. Um, he was a lovely guy. I gigged with him uh, maybe uh, 10 or 11 times, something like that. And he was always uh, just a positive presence on any lineup. He never had a bad word to say uh, about anyone. Uh, he was also involved in Andy White's Comedians Choir, um, which uh, did some shows at the Mac, uh, singing uh, theme tunes. And I believe Colin uh, was, his particular favourite was the Heidi High theme tune that he sang along with there obviously our thoughts go to uh, his family and his loved ones uh Colin Harris will be sadly missed so sorry to end the show on a bit of a, a downer there but I did want to pay tribute to to one of our own there this is the Brum Radio Comedy Show <laughs> From Radio Comedy Show, coming to the end for another week now. I'm uh, James Cook. I have been and I will continue to be so. For a while at least. Big thanks to Ian Boldsworth for chatting to us. If you have just tuned in and you missed it, don't worry. You can listen again at the Brum Radio website, brumradio.com. Or you can check out the podcast by searching for the Brum Radio Comedy Show from wherever you get your podcasts from but you will not get my incredible taste in music on that. Big thanks to uh, Paul and Max as well here at Brum Radio who keep the thing working and on air and keep me in uh, peppermint tea. That's appreciated. I've got two ridiculously long drives this weekend for gigs. Yeah, I should take more more of Ian Boltworth's advice, I think, keep me off the road, but... Until next time, this is James Cook for Brum Radio saying ta-ra.
Well, there you go. That was all right, wasn't it? That was the Prom Radio Comedy Show. It's going to be back live 11 o'clock in the morning next Thursday. You can listen to it through brumradio.com and that way you get to hear all the music we play as well. Or if you feel like the music was sadly lacking, you can check it out on Mixcloud. Also go through brumradio.com to listen to that. Otherwise, download the podcast again next week. Or if you really want to, find the studio and come and sit in the corner of it and then you'll see it all happening live as well. There's lots of different ways you can consume the show. Not all of them uh, entirely legally. Until next time, ta-ra! It's Barbara Nice here, Barbara's in Strice at Nice in the Biscuit. If you haven't already heard my podcast, where have you been? We're on series four. Get your ears round. It's me talking to people, have a proper good chat about loads of stuff. It's funny, it's informative, and sometimes I could get somebody sued. If you fancy listening to it, you can download it from... I'm going to get Paul to do the admin. (laughs) Call Barbara Nice and Friends. Listen to it on the Bum Radio website or your favourite podcast app. Thank you for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on your podcast app.